I'm ready to take the next step. I'm ready for a university that will help me advance in my education and career. A university that will make me feel supported and connected. I'm ready for ODU Online. Click this ad or go to online.odu.edu today. Hello, friends, and welcome back to the Sacktown Royalty Show. I'm your host, Tony Zipteris, and joining me on the podcast this week is Sacktown Royalty's own Tim Maxwell. Tim, how are you this morning? Doing well. How are you, Tony? I'm doing great. We finally have a basketball game to talk about, and we're going to do exactly that on the podcast today. The Kings defeated the Phoenix Suns 106-102 in their preseason opener. You were at Talking Stick Resort Arena in Phoenix to watch the game live. I was able to uh, watch the game from home, thankfully. And I think we're just going to run down some extremely early positive signs, negative signs, and some neutral notes that might not be positive or negative, but are kind of worth talking about anyways. I'll put what should be an obvious disclaimer here that we're talking about one preseason game. So, you know, if that's all we can evaluate at this point, and things probably will change from here. Uh, With that being said, I guess we can start with some positive reactions. So, Tim, what did you like out of this uh, new Sacramento Kings team in preseason game number one? I think I think the biggest takeaway everyone um, had from last night was Yogi Ferrell's play. He mm-hmm. he really uh, put up 26 points um, on on great shooting. He he nailed I think six of nine from deep or six of ten from deep. And uh, probably the most impressive thing uh, for me from him, his offense was great, but it also was just his willingness to take over the game. There was about a, a three or four minute stretch where um, in the fourth quarter, late in the fourth quarter, where he just took the ball every time and either drove it or shot it and hit most of those shots or drew fouls. So. Uh, I think he's got a, a leadership element that may be missing a little bit on the court at times for the Kings, and we've talked a little bit about that Frank Mason versus Yogi Ferrell battle, and I think he, he, pretty, he pretty handily won that first round. Yeah, I have a, a list of uh, four positives. Yogi was number one on my list, too, and it was interesting watching him play, you know, for as much as we have made that comparison with Frank Mason and that, like, we've put that position battle kind of pretty high on things we're watching in training camp. And he played a majority of his minutes, at least last night, off the ball with uh, Bogdan Bogdanovich out, which is just good to see his versatility. We knew that going in because he did that in Dallas too. But, I mean, he showed you how well he can perform in that role last night. And I think if things go according to plan, quote-unquote, for the Kings this year, you're going to see a lot of De'Aaron Fox, uh, Buddy Heald, and Bogdan Bogdanovich on the court together. And the, the negative side of that is... Buddy Heald was so key to the Kings off the bench last year. But if Yogi can do what he did last night, and I don't expect him to score 20-plus points and rain down threes like he did against Phoenix in the first preseason game, but if he can be that sort of Buddy Heald replacement in terms of bench scoring for the Kings this season uh, at $3 million a year with a player option next year, that's a huge win for the Kings for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And, And the fact that we can then move Buddy into the starting lineup and we can get that shooting next to De'Aaron Fox, which he was lacking last year in that starting lineup next to him. And then, like you said, his versatility makes his play easiest where whoever's playing well among the starters, you know, he can play point guard or he can play shooting guard and, and slot into really either position. Yeah, and, and as small as like a Frank Mason, Yogi Ferrell backcourt would be, Yogi Ferrell did that with J.J. Barea last year, who was just as small as Frank Mason. And that sort of lets you... Play Yogi at the two if someone like Iman Shumpert either is traded or is just not very good. Where the Kings, right. you know, they could actually use some depth at two if guys like Shumpert and Macklemore, who is their current depth, just don't perform, which 
if you look at recent history, those guys, uh, I mean, it's very possible that those guys just aren't very good anymore. Or in Macklemore's case, you know, maybe never really figured it out. But uh, yeah, so, you know, if Mason's good, it's not like Mason's totally shut out of the rotation. You could, I mean, we could live in a world where Mason and Farrell are playing together. Um, and if, if those guys win out, then good for them. They're both young guys. So, you know, as long as they're both playing well, they can both play. Yeah, absolutely. And they, and they played well together last night, I thought, as well. Uh, my second positive, I'm sure this was a positive for just about everybody, was uh, Harry Giles. It, it just his mm-hmm. aggressiveness. If you look at the, just the box score, his numbers don't look outstanding just in terms of like field goal percentage. And he, he had a couple of wild shots, but I loved that he was second on the team in field goal attempts, even though his efficiency wasn't fantastic because the Kings, we've talked about it time and time again, need that alpha scoring. And I'm not going to say that Harry Giles is that guy immediately, but we're talking about his first professional NBA game in his career. One of his first games period he played in summer league, but he hasn't been a very active basketball player for a while now. And he's out here taking the second most shots in his, his first ever NBA game. So I loved seeing that aggressiveness and everything else that Harry Giles did last night. Harry Giles is a basketball player. Mm-hmm. And I think that's such a relief to see, you know, we, we've heard, we've heard the, the theories behind how great he's going to be. We've heard the hype from the organization for a year and a half now. Um, but he's a basketball player. And that's, that's the most encouraging thing to me is the Kings lack a, a lot of basketball players. I think, Bogey is a basketball player where he just all around can do multiple things well. I think Harry Giles is another one of those guys that um, as he develops, he's going to show multiple skill sets. Um, and from the center of power forward position, that's something the Kings desperately need. And just one uh, anecdotal thing from the game last night. I'm sure you, you caught this too, but Harry Giles is somewhere around the free throw line. And he, he wrapped around outside to the three-point line, got a handoff from Marvin Bagley. And in like the smoothest three-point attempt you can see mm. he just knocked down a three like coming off from around uh marvin bagley handoff which is something you know we knew he was skilled but that is a that's a play that buddy healed makes coming around oh yeah absolutely um, there was that there was a um, uh, crossover fadeaway pullback shot from about 15 feet and i mean just the guy's got skills and if he can stay healthy he's going to be he's going to be a force in this league would you think of uh uh, we talk about pace so much with this team and, and how slow they played last year. Did you notice anything different in terms of their speed or how they were looking to push the ball? Anything like that? I think the second unit played faster than the first unit, um, which is interesting seeing as how Fox is in the first unit. But especially in the first quarter, um, really through the first half, they, they ran that Willie Cauley-Stein high post offense. I think I counted the first eight or nine possessions. Willie touched the ball in the high post, and they kind of ran through him. And the issue with that sort of offense is even if you move the ball up the court quickly, it kind of sits with Willie because he's looking for the pass or for the screen or for whatever's happening. Sudden that draws your offense, kind of grinds it to a halt. So I think the second unit did a much better job of of running um, off the rebound or, or off the miss or off the inbounds or whatever it would be. Um, and then in the second half, the starters did a better job of that, but I, w- I would still give compliments to the bench. Yeah, I didn't notice too much uh, difference in terms of pushing the ball, but I did like, I saw some nice outlet passes, which I felt like was a new wrinkle, something we didn't see a ton last year. The Harry Giles dunk was one of those, like kind of catch the defense mm-hmm. being lazy, you can kind of throw it over the top. So instead of dribbling, maybe maybe they didn't dribble the ball faster up the court, but I saw them pushing the ball faster up the court. I know Buddy Heald got a little mid-range jumper, um, through a nice outlet pass. So if they can kind of manufacture buckets that way, where it doesn't, you don't always need to find your guard. You can pass it ahead. Right. And I saw the Kings exploit that a little bit, but it's something we're going to have to keep watching because 
I don't know. I didn't notice a, an incredible change in the pace the Kings played with last night, but it's early. Yeah, agreed. My last positive was Marvin Bagley's defensive effort. We'll talk about his offense uh, maybe in a different category here. But I thought, you know, for as much criticism as Marvin Bagley gets and for how closely we're watching him this season in comparison to guys like Luka Doncic and DeAndre Ayton, um, if you can point to maybe one point of, of optimism or, or positive from last night was at least Bagley's uh, activity on defense where the Kings have plenty of guys who, who will watch layups and dunks go in, Willie Cauley-Stein being one of those players. But I liked Marvin Bagley at least putting some effort there on defense in trying to challenge and block shots at the rim. It wasn't always pretty, but you saw a little bit of that leaping ability that we were sold on and like his quick bounce, uh, I thought, on defense, just trying to get in the way and alter shots. He has some defensive focus. He, he has some awareness, more awareness than I think any of us expected. Because uh, Duke, he didn't show that. He had Wendell Carter just kind of holding the middle for him. He was more of a, a almost a wing defender. He was on the outside of that 2-3 defense. But um, when, when he's guarding that post, he's, he's got some awareness. Um, you know, in the, in, the, in the final 10 seconds of the game last night, he, he stopped DeAndre Ayton, who had dominated Willie Cauley-Stein um, and some other players the entire game. And then the next possession... Um, there was a, a pick and roll play with DeAndre Ayton in a guard. I don't remember which, which guard it was. On that play, Bagley overhelped on the ball handler, which caused Ayton to slip. Um, Ayton got the ball free, and Frank Mason fouled him on the shot attempt to prevent the dunk. And so he, he really has showed a lot more awareness, a lot more activity than we expected or were told to expect. So that's, that's been good. Um, and I think he could eventually become uh, an above-average defender. It's going to take a while. But the fact that he's trying harder than most of the Kings' bigs um, is, is a good sign in and of itself. That was the extent of my notable positives. Did you notice anything else on that end, or should we move over to some maybe things that didn't look so great? One little thing, Wenyan Gabriel is long, 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 long. I have no idea if he can play basketball or not. He didn't really show much last night. He only got on the game for like a minute and a half. But if he can hit threes like he did in college, he might be a decent prospect of things moving forward. But um, other than that little tidbit, I don't think I have a ton more. Uh, what about your negatives? So negatives, um, I'm going to talk about your boy, Justin Jackson. Mm-hmm. Uh, zero points, I think two rebounds, one assist in 20 minutes. Uh, and he was a ghost. And we, we saw that last year. We saw that struggle last year where he would just disappear for not just large stretches in games, but large stretches of games. And um, there was no summer league Justin Jackson showing up last night. Um, really no impact on the game. So he was probably my biggest disappointment in that he was an older rookie last year. Now he's a sophomore, and he looked completely outmatched the entire night. Yeah, it was not a good night for the uh, Justin Jackson believers. I'm not like a huge Justin Jackson guy, but I think among the Sacktown Royalty staff and maybe Kings fans at large, I'm a little bit more optimistic about his future. But last night was... Those are unacceptable games now. Like maybe last year you can be invisible and still get minutes, but I sort of had three guys who kind of fit that invisible status, and that was Justin Jackson, Scalabissier, who had a few moments in the third quarter where he looked a little bit more aggressive and like a decent offensive player, and then Buddy Heald didn't do a whole lot either. I'm not worried about Buddy Heald. He has a track record here. We know what he can do. But as far as Justin Jackson and Scalabissier, those are two guys that I don't think they can afford to not play well. This roster is too... I don't want to say stacked because I don't know that the talent is like overwhelmingly great, but they have too many players that can fill those positions. And I don't think like if Justin Jackson is, is not going to produce, 
I don't think he's going to be able to beat out Bogdan Bogdanovich and Nemanja Bielitsa for Minnesota 3. And if Scott Labissier is not right. going to produce, he's not going to beat out guys like Marvin Bagley and Harry Giles and even Coast Koopas and Zach Randolph or, I, I don't know, down the road, maybe Wenyan Gabriel for minutes at the 4. Those guys need to do something or I don't think Dave Yeager is going to play them this year like he had the luxury of doing last year. Yeah, these guys are fighting for their NBA careers. That's that's the that's the honest assessment here because, like you said, we're we're not necessarily talent deep, but we're positionally deep in every position. Um, even small forward, we don't have a premier small forward, but we have multiple guys who can slot in at that position. And frankly, none of them should be small forwards. So whoever mm-hmm. whoever's best as a small forward, that's who's going to get the spot. So if Scal can't produce, he's not going to find minutes, and his career may very well fade away. It doesn't mean he won't get another contract down the line, but his ability to show himself off for other teams or for his next contract is going to disappear. And same with Justin Jackson, the Kings may look to acquire a, a full-time small forward um, this year or next year if he continues to just ghost during games. And then, and then like you said, Buddy Heald, he'll be fine. Um, not a great game from him. But, yeah, those two guys, um, Scal's inconsistency and, and Justin Jackson's tendency to just be invisible are, are still showing themselves in year three for Scal and year two for Jackson. We need to talk about Willie Cauley-Stein. I sort of had him in my negative pile, even though his numbers looked pretty good. But what did you think of Willie Cauley-Stein's preseason debut after all the uh, the hype and the words and the workouts this summer? Same player. Yeah. Uh, got some rebounds. That was actually, he had 10 rebounds in the first half. I think he only grabbed uh, two or four in the second half, but he also he didn't play a ton in the second half. Same player, um, same same engagement going in and out throughout the game. Um, he had a couple of nice defensive stops, but there were also probably six or seven DeAndre Ayton post-ups where he literally just put up an arm bar, let him back him down, and then DeAndre Ayton laid it up or dunked um, and just watched. And so, like you said, the stat line, pretty nice. Um, I think he's going to continue to put up those stat lines as long as he gets playing time because um, he's, a, he's a skilled guy. You know, that's that's something we don't always talk about. He has basketball skills. He had a couple of nice post-ups. He had some nice jump shots, a couple of not-so-nice jump shots. But he'll put up points. He's going to grab rebounds if he plays 25, 30 minutes a game. But um, what we don't talk about with stat lines is impact. And I don't think he greatly impacted the game last night, especially on the defensive side of the floor. Yeah, Willie will get numbers if you give him minutes. But I thought last night was a good example. You mentioned how Aiton sort of ate him up for possession after possession, it felt like. And that's where you start to see why uh, Dave Yeager might play someone like Costa Kupas this year, because I don't think uh, DeAndre Ayton gets those post-ups as easily against a defender like Kupas. I don't think the Suns are able to lob it over the top on those pick and rolls to Ayton as easily if Costa Kupas is the guy back there kind of having better defensive position than Willie Cauley-Stein showed. And I think you, I mean, you nailed his performance perfectly. He was just kind of the same guy. And uh, after all we've been told this summer about him getting paid and, and how hard he's worked and how he's changed his mindset. I would have liked to have seen a little bit more, but of course this is game number one. Everyone's still sort of feeling themselves. And I think that starting lineup as a unit played really poorly at the beginning of the game. So maybe Willie Colley Stein will play better if he gets uh, some minutes with a little bit higher energy players. Cause like we said, you know, Scalabissier and Justin Jackson were in that starting lineup with Willie Colley Stein and the Kings got off to a really slow start. And I'm not, I'm not taking the, the blame for how Kali Stein played off of him, but I think you can give him another another many opportunities considering it was only the first preseason game to see if he unlocked anything else this summer because that wasn't wasn't the best showing for him. 
Absolutely. And, and I mean, we've talked about this before, you know, um, I mentioned earlier the high post offense with Willie. I don't think that's using his strengths correctly. Right. He's an okay passer for a big man, but it, it takes him away from the basket. I, I didn't really see hardly any pick and rolls last night with the Kings with De'Aaron Fox. And that's something that seems like it would be a strength of this team. You've got a quick guard and you've got big men who can run and jump and, and I, I'm not sure why we're not seeing that from the Kings when it could be such a good opportunity for them. And that could showcase Willie's athleticism and ability to dive towards the rim or even do a little bit of a pick and pop since he has proven to a certain extent he can hit that 12, 14 footer. Did you have any other negative takeaways from last night? Bagley's offense. Mm-hmm. Um, like you said, game one, rookie debut. We weren't expecting a ton. Um, similar to, to what I just mentioned, I'm not sure why the Kings are pretending he's Zach Randolph or DeMarcus Cousins in the post. And we, we sometimes kind of talk about, oh, well, preseason is there for experimentation and for trying new things. But I don't know if that's the time to try new things with your rookie who has shown a tendency uh, for his offense to be behind the curve. And so, um, you know, there were probably five or six straight possessions last night where they just uh, it was exactly a Zach Randolph post-up. They dumped it into him in the post, and everyone on the perimeter just stood and watched Marvin Bagley try to score, and I don't think he scored a single one of those times. He got bailed out on a foul call one time. But if the Kings can use Marvin Bagley in transition as a cutter, as a pick-and-pop shooter maybe, he's got a nice stroke. I think he can do okay offensively, but, man, that, that post-up game is ugly. Yeah, Marvin Bagley's post offense was number one on my on my negatives list. You know, I watched all of Marvin Bagley's summer league games, and I can't remember a successful post move. I'm sure he's had one that resulted in, a, in points that looked legit and not like you said that foul that he got was kind of. I mean, it's kind of a ticky tack foul call. I, I don't really want to give Bagley too much credit for drawing a foul in that situation, but yeah, his offense did not look great. And I'd like to see him play a little bit more with De'Aaron Fox. His best game that we've seen in a Kings uniform was still that very first summer league game in the California Classic, and that was with playing uh, alongside De'Aaron Fox. And last night, we already talked about how uh, the starting unit included Scalabas here, power forward, and and not Marvin Bagley. And maybe that's that can unlock his game a little bit, is playing a little bit more with De'Aaron Fox. But yeah, just dumping the ball to him in the post. I'll just say this. I don't really want to see any of the Kings' bigs post up, ever. I, I think Lavissier yeah. can do it a little bit. Harry Giles... We actually haven't seen him get the ball in the post as much as the other players, so maybe he has more of a post game than than I can comment on right now. But, you know, I don't really want to see Willie Cauley-Stein in the post. He can do some moves occasionally. I don't want to see Marvin Bagley in the post. That is not where this offense should come from. All of the bigs should be getting out in transition, rim running and scoring when passed to and not necessarily creating their own shots in the post. Off the bounce, maybe. Like Harry Giles, a little bit off the bounce, right. can do some things. Willie Cauley-Stein, I think. He didn't convert a few of the layups, but he beat Aiden off the bounce once or twice last night. And uh, Giles can can kind of do it all in my mind at this point. But as far as just dumping guys in that Zebo role in the post, I'm not sure that's the best option for the Kings offense on any possession with any of these players. Agreed. And, and really, it's not the best option for about 90% of the teams in the league. Right. Um, and, and that the league has moved away from that because it's not efficient. And, and frankly, guys don't have the skills anymore to do that. And so hopefully... Uh, those 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 possessions are just experimental to see what Bagley can do. Hopefully we don't see that once the regular season rolls around because it's, it's not good. Any other takeaways that were neither good nor bad, just kind of things you thought were worth mentioning on the podcast? Um, free throw attempts. I think they had 28 last night, which was great. Um, obviously they're playing. Yeah. 
uh, you know, it's preseason. The guys are fouling. Um, Harry Giles saw that. Everyone was in foul trouble. But I think we only averaged something like 14 or 16 free throw attempts per game last year. Yogi was a big part of that. He drove the ball pretty hard at the rim every time. Uh, Bagley drew multiple fouls. And, and part of that was at the end of the game. We got fouls a few times. But at least 22, 23 of those were legitimate in-game fouls. And, and we had uh, the Suns in the bonus with, I want to say, seven minutes left in the first quarter. So... Um, that that was good to see. That's that's probably all I've got. Um, neutrality or a little bit good wise. Yeah, this is this could maybe be a negative. I just think it's funny and worth mentioning. But um, we all saw that Frank Mason, Scalabrini, Marvin Bagley, Harry Giles, Willie Cauley Stein lineup for like two minutes last night. Uh, yeah, <laughs> playing Scalabrini the two. And I'm not saying this is what it was, but if your head coach was trying to send a message to their front office that the roster is unbalanced and there's a front court log jam and you need to get me more wings. If that was going to happen, that's how you do it. I'm not saying that's what Dave Yeager was doing because that's kind of wild speculation, but it was such an absurd lineup that you have to wonder if Yeager's either trolling or trying to send a message to somebody because that made no sense at all. And it was only two minutes in one preseason game, but that lineup was insane. Yeah, it was it was quite silly. That's, that's maybe a good theory. And then when they switched from that to the... Uh, Justin Jackson power forward lineup, which I know Dave Yeager actually talked about, but then he played basically three guards, a, a shooting guard slash small forward and Justin Jackson in the center. You know, he just swung that pendulum so quickly one way or the other. You know, the Kings don't have a small forward. Let's just be honest. They don't have a quality small forward until Bogey returns. So maybe maybe that was the theory. I kind of like that theory. And I just think we should at least mention De'Aaron Fox. I don't know. The, the Kings are going to go as far as he takes them this season, in, in my opinion. And I... Thought he played better as the game went along, but at least in the early parts, I would have liked to see him be more aggressive. More aggressive as a whole for a guy like De'Aaron Fox. He can get to the rim. It seems like whenever he wants to, I'd like to see him flip that switch a little bit more and sort of set the tone early. Because as I mentioned earlier, that starting lineup really started off slow and poor. And I don't know if Fox is good enough to make an entire lineup play better quite yet. But he did get more aggressive as the game went on, and I just want to see him do that from the tip. Yeah, third to fourth quarter was a much better performance. Like you said, he got to the rim a lot more. I did notice early in the game they had uh, either Josh Jackson or Trevor Ariza guarding him. Oh, um, and they, they let one of the smaller guards take on usually Justin Jackson since he didn't do anything anyway. So um, I think those longer, bigger, rangier defenders uh, hurt him a little bit in the first half. But like you said, second half, much better performance. But he's he's got to impact the game at least at his own level for all four quarters if he's going to be our foundational core uh, star player. All right, last thing I wanted to talk about today before we close the podcast out uh, is Patrick McCaw. He's the last real notable free agent out there right now, uh, Warriors third-year wing Patrick McCaw. The Kings need as many young wings as they can get. We've been talking about it all summer and in all podcasts today. But the roster is full of guaranteed contracts right now, and we haven't heard any rumors that the Kings are actually interested in McCaw. However, they do still have roughly $11 million in cap space, and McCaw recently as early as last night, declined a two-year, $5.5 million offer from the Warriors, which is a pretty decent contract for a guy who hasn't done a ton in the NBA so far. But, um, Tim, if you're the Kings, would you go after a guy like McCaw, and what is the best contract you'd be comfortable offering him? Yeah, so my first response is yes, because like you said, Young Wing um, showed some promise uh, in his rookie season, got hurt, and didn't play all that well in a sophomore season. One of those guys, low risk, low, or low risk could be a high reward. Um, but we also have the Jimmy Butler situation kind of sitting out here, mm-hmm. and that has to resolve itself. So personally, 
I would wait until the Jimmy Butler situation resolves itself because there's a very high chance the Kings not I don't know I don't know if I should say that high chance there is a chance the Kings get involved as a facilitator and pick up a pick or an asset and I think that pick or asset will likely be more valuable than McCaw. Um, so if that Jimmy Butler situation goes through and either the Kings get involved and still have cap space or don't get involved, um, then you have to beat out the contract he was offered. So it was two years, five and a half million. So, I mean, you, I, and only the first year was guaranteed. So I might go something like two years, uh, seven million with both seasons guaranteed or maybe a partial guarantee that next year. And then the other thing we would have to do, of course, is cut someone from the roster, someone that's fully guaranteed right now, assuming we couldn't dump anyone, which I don't think we could. So um, then you're looking at cutting probably Ben McLemore would be the most likely candidate. Um, and then you've got uh, $5.4 million in debt cap space. Now it's only for the season, so it doesn't really matter, uh, but that's another factor. So I'd probably go around two for seven. What about you? That seems fair to me. I, I actually thought the yeah. two-year $5.2 million contract was pretty fair for McCaw. I'm not sure exactly what he's holding out for unless it is the Kings and that's why I think it's worth talking about because teams really don't have cap space at this point and that's like I said a, a pretty decent offer from the defending champs um for right. a guy who hasn't done a whole lot so I think you know two years six or two years seven might be enough to get it done I just the situation is something I'm monitoring because it's kind of bizarre how long this is stretched out for a guy like McCaw who needs playing time and needs reps to miss training camp and now he's starting to miss preseason games doesn't seem like a very smart move on his part unless he has something on the table. And uh, for all we know, that thing on the table is the Kings because, you know, the the cap situation the Kings are in. But yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know if Ben McLemore, if cutting him is in the cards anymore. It seemed like such an obvious decision, but Jaeger has singled McLemore out as having a good training camp in two different press conferences. I thought last night for, you know, as bad as Justin Jackson looked, McLemore wasn't way better, but he did play better. Um, yeah. looking for like depth at the, at the wing or at the three. So I don't know. I'd feel much more confident about offering him something like that if the Kings had an open roster space. But now I just don't know, don't know exactly how realistic that is. Yeah, and we'll have to see, you know, maybe something gets combined where Jimmy Butler trade happens, Kings trade two players, get one back and an asset or a pick. And if they still have a little bit of space left over, you know, maybe they can sit McBine after that trade. Maybe that's what uh, Vladi Dibok and Brandon Williams are waiting for. I think he's worth a, a shot in the dark if, if it's going to work out, if it's going to make sense long-term for the Kings. Yeah, I would like him, and I, and I would go after him if the Kings can make it happen. So we'll keep monitoring that situation, but that's going to do it for the podcast this week. It's fun to actually talk about some real basketball. Tim, why don't you tell everyone where they can find you on the internet? Uh, at Tim Maxwell 22 known as the Sacktown Baby Draft or Baby Draft on Sacktown Royalty. Thanks for having me on, Tim. All right, thanks, Tim. Have a good day. I'm ready to make my credits count. I'm ready to take classes from a university that will help me build on my experience to prepare me for the future. A university that will make me feel supported, encouraged, and connected. Click this ad or go to online.odu.edu today. I'm ready to take the next step. I'm ready for a university that will help me advance in my education and career. A university that will make me feel supported and connected. I'm ready for ODU Online. Click this ad or go to online.odu.edu today.